David, Uzzah, and the Ark of the Covenant. One of David's final battles with the uncircumcised Philistines is described in 2 Samuel chapter 5. He had just been anointed king at Hebron, and the enemy seized that opportunity to strike quickly and remove him from his newly acquired throne. It says, When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it, and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Note that all the Philistines came. David had been their arch enemy for years, and now they sought to hunt him out and destroy him before he could consolidate his power and threaten them further. David, however, defeated them in two major conflicts, and his success in the war was solely because he prayed to God on each occasion, seeking God's specific counsel before advancing into combat. When we read the next chapter, however, we find that David made no attempt to seek God's advice when he sought to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The contrast is striking and, as such, presents a great warning for us all in our everyday lives. We are counselled to acknowledge God in all of our ways, to cast all our cares upon him. We are exhorted to pray always with all prayer and supplication, and to be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer must be a central portion of our life before God. The lesson of 2 Samuel chapter 6 is clear. If you fail to seek God's will through prayer, you will end up experiencing disastrous consequences. In David's case, it led to the untimely death of a brother who was carrying out David's wishes contrary to God's will. Where did David go wrong? He had won great victories over the Philistines, and he may have thought that because God had delivered him in one aspect of life, he would automatically be with him in all other facets of life. We can never presume on God's mercy, particularly when any subsequent actions we undertake are contrary to the scriptures. God may bless us in a particular work, but that does not mean to say we can assume that he is always with us in other activities. David had the best intentions. It was time to reinstate the glory and majesty of God in the heart of the nation once more, and to achieve this he had planned to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the newly conquered capital, Jerusalem. That ark symbolised so many great things about Yahweh. If you examine the psalms that were sung when the ark finally arrived in Zion, you get a sense of the grandeur of the symbol. It represented God's victory over all nations, his covenants of mercy, his glory and honour, the beauty of his holiness, his kingship and his salvation. The ark represented nothing less than the presence of Almighty God in their midst. David assembled 30,000 people to witness the occasion. But tragically, this was the same number slain when the Ark was lost in battle against the Philistines many years before. The record is making a link. The nation did not have the right attitude toward the significance of the Ark when it was lost to the Philistines under Eli. And their attitude was not much different at the time it was first taken to Jerusalem by David. Even the language describing the Ark of God in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 2, whose name is called by the name of Yahweh of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims, was the very language used 
when it was lost in battle in First Samuel chapter 4. Israel's problem at that time was that they saw the ark as a kind of talisman, a lucky charm. To them, it would save them. The personal majesty and holiness of God was missing from their understanding. Furthermore, in the parallel record in First Chronicles chapter 13, we read that David on this first occasion wanted to bring the ark to us, to me, and to himself. This type of language is missing on the second occasion. David had reflected on the death of Azza, and on the second occasion I understood that the ark did not belong to the nation as a kind of trophy. It represented instead Yahweh himself in glory and majesty. In 2 Samuel 6 verse 4, David and the people with him set the ark of God upon a new cart. They perhaps reasoned that because God had providentially brought the ark to them on a cart, this method of transportation was therefore acceptable. But you cannot treat God like the Philistines treated him. Furthermore, it was in direct conflict with the instructions of the law, which stated that only the sons of Kohath were appointed to bear the ark, and that they should not touch any holy thing, lest they die. We read that Ahio went out in front of the ark, and Azar was at its side as the ox lumbered along the way. The house of Israel played before Yahweh, that is, they performed with God in mind. They sincerely believed that they were doing the right thing until disaster struck at Nacon or Kaidon's threshing floor. Nacon means prepared, and Kaidon comes from the idea of striking, attacking, and beating. The threshing floor was a place where people prepared the harvest sheaves for striking and threshing and represented a place prepared for judgment. The ark spoke of God going forth to judge and destroy his enemies, and now Israel were to learn that God's people are not exempt from the same measure of justice. When the ark came from Philistia in a cart, the men of Beth Shemesh were harvesting sheaves, and God judged them there for ignoring his holiness and majesty. History was about to repeat itself in David's day. God was about to remove the chaff from David's understanding. The oxen stumbled, and this shook the cart with the precious cargo on board. It looked as if the cart might teeter over and tip the ark on the ground. Uzzah's reaction was immediate. He put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. The Hebrew words indicate that he stretched out his hand, seized it, took possession of it, and held it fast. It was more than just a reflex action. He grabbed it and would not let go. He did not believe that the God, who had looked after the ark all through Philistia, who had preserved it in his own house for many decades, would not allow it to be destroyed in Israel. There was no real need to grasp it. God would have intervened in some way to prevent it being destroyed. But more significantly, the law stated that men were not to touch it, lest they die. The language is drawn straight from Genesis 3 verse 3, where the woman stated that she was not permitted to eat the fruit, or even touch it, lest they die. Uzzah, like Eve, needed to understand that God means what he says. In fact, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Here is a very strong reaction from God. Anger. But wasn't Uzzah just protecting the ark from falling off the cart? Wasn't he right just to save God's honour from being dragged to the ground? 
Surely Aza couldn't be blamed for instinctively wanting to save the Ark from being damaged. But even our decisions, made in a moment, matter before God. Now how is it that David could, on several occasions, break the letter of the law, for example, he ate the showbread, and lawfully, without any adverse consequence, but on this occasion, Uzzah died for not keeping the letter of the law, despite David's good motives. There are several principles we need to appreciate. Firstly, there is a careful distinction made in the law of Moses between a threatened death penalty due to violation of God's holy arrangements and the death penalty for other reasons. Punishment for the former is absolute. There is no court of appeal, for example, the death of Nadab and Abihu. There is forgiveness, however, for other sins. David was liable under the law to receive the death penalty for murder and adultery, yet because of his repentance, God forgave him. We find it easier to grasp the latter example, but not the former, because from a human perspective, God's punishment against Uzzah seems very harsh. But the lesson is clear. When God speaks about our response to his holiness and majesty and honour, there is no court of appeal. This brings us to the second principle. We must learn that God means what he says. He is holy and just and needs to be feared in the true scriptural sense. Fearing God is not being superstitious. It is not quaking before his presence out of abject terror. It is a reverential appreciation of his greatness, an awe which evokes a disposition of humility and deep respect. But look at what the record says about David's reaction to Uzzah's death. And David was displeased, because Yahweh had made a breach upon Uzzah. And David was afraid of Yahweh that day. The word displeased means to blaze up in anger. He was furious that God had interrupted the ceremony, ruined all his good intentions and killed someone in the process. How would we react to a great reverse like this? You might be doing some work in the truth with a good motive, and suddenly it all turns to ashes because some aspect was not quite in accordance with the will of God. This is a true test of character. How we respond to God and to each other in the face of failure and disaster. David did not react well at first. But after pondering God's response further, that anger then turned to fear. He realised that God would not have intervened like this unless there was something terribly wrong with what he was doing. Whilst David's first reaction was not right, he was angry with God, he took the time to think it through more carefully. He began to turn inwardly and look at himself, not at other people. He sought to discern the cause of God's great displeasure by starting with himself. In a similar way, when tragedy strikes, our appreciation of God's work amongst us should cause us to stop in our tracks and contemplate where we are going. This is what David did. He vowed to find a resting place for the ark on God's terms and not his own. Whilst the chapter continues the story about bringing the ark to Zion, we note that there is no further mention of Uzzah. There is no description about his burial. There is no record of people mourning him. He disappears from the record because this is enough to warn those who do, despite to God's holiness, that they will no longer be remembered by God. We learn from this incident that God will uphold the honour of his word. Worship is not about pleasing ourselves. Uzzah 
lost the proper sense of awe and fear in his holy presence, and we must ensure that we do not follow his example. May we never take our fellowship with the Almighty God for granted.